Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Andrew Shetty Supra is a Canadian artist based in Toronto, an elected member of the Society of Canadian Artists, the Canadian Society of Painters in Watercolor, the Ontario Society of Artists, and the Portrait Society of Canada. Andrew was a contestant in the finals of Landscape Artists of the Year Canada competition. Episodes can be streamed on CBC TV Gem Documentaries. Andrew teaches online at the McMichael Gallery of Canadian Art the Barry Arts Club, and the Richmond Hill Art School. His body of work includes landscapes and figurative work in abstracted realism, porcelain sculpture, and social commentary. He is a raw colorist whose free brushwork is confident and powerful. Varied subjects are presented in his exploration of the interconnectivity of everything. Andrew's strengths are evident in his strong sense of design, exquisite use of effective composition, and confident presentation of bold colors. Andrew has gone on several painting expeditions, including to the Arctic, Gross Morne, Killarney, and Algonquin Park. Please help me welcome Andrew Chetty Shukra to the podcast. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, good morning. Lisa, how are you? Good. I'm so glad we finally got to connect. So much to talk about. You such a rich background and so many experiences. So I'm excited to jump right in. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now. At the moment, I've got a few things going on. Top of the mind and sharing space with Top of the Mind is the painting behind me. It's a scene from Oxtong Rapids in Algonquin Park. I've visited that spot many times in the past four years when I first went up to Algonquin Park. And I've painted this particular scene from different views several times in the past or since then. So that's one. And then I'm actually putting together a number of images. I have many images to choose from, from work going back a few years, figurative landscape work. I'm choosing perhaps 10 of them that I'll probably consider doing an NFT of. I don't know. I haven't done as much research as I need to, but I have lots of images. So those are two things I'm working on. That sounds great. And NFTs, there's lots to learn there from what I've been reading and learning about myself. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a learning curve. Oh, for sure. You have an interesting story. You weren't born here in Canada. So can you tell maybe a little bit about your journey from where you came from to how you became an artist here in Canada? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. I uh, was born in Guyana in South America. People quite often mistake that with Ghana in South Africa, but it's Guyana, formerly British Guyana, at the northeast corner of South America, sandwiched between Venezuela, Brazil, and Suriname. So I was born there in 1956 and lived there until I was 18. And then I came to Canada. And what did you do when you got to Canada? Well, I was able to leverage the two years of advertising 
experience that I got. How can someone at 18 have two years of advertising experience? Well, let me tell you, if you're kicked out of school at 16 and you happen to have a little bit of drawing experience, which catches the eye of the creative director of an ad agency you walked into announcing the fact that you're looking for a job, you will end up with two years of advertising experience. It's not guaranteed, but I did have it and uh, came to Canada with that under my belt. However, the old little thing that you hear, immigrants hear quite often when you apply for a job, even though you have some experience in it, you do not have any Canadian experience. So what happens then? Well, night school. Night school, factories, working in factories, working two jobs here and there, taking freelance work on, building up a portfolio until some soul touched by the gracious hand of the power that be that helps us every once in a while took me on as a full-time illustrator and an art director. And how long did you do that for? One and a half years, I think it was. And then I got another job in a related field, actually, and in printing, I think it was. And then from there, one thing led to another, always related to art. So yeah. It's been quite the journey. <laughs> it has been. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So I try to figure where we should start with because you've done a lot of different things. I'm curious about a couple of them. Maybe we could start with you've done these excursions to different places. And the one that I'm, I'm intrigued by is the Arctic. So maybe you could talk about what your painting excursions are like how you get involved with them, who goes with you, and how it informs the work that you do. Absolutely. Thank you for asking that. Did you see my shoulders straighten up when you asked when the word excursions came <laughs> into your question? So first of all, I didn't travel a lot when I was in Guyana, mm-hmm. other than back and forth. We lived in the country and we went to school. I went to school in the city. Other than that kind of traveling, I didn't do much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I started playing sports in high school in Guyana, field hockey and soccer. And when I came to Canada, I joined a team that was quite a traveling team. They traveled quite a bit. For instance, New Jersey in the spring, Washington, D.C. in the fall, Pennsylvania, Ottawa, New York, Ottawa, Montreal, etc. And then I became an umpire and I traveled even more for that. All during that time, I was painting and working and playing sports. But then when I started traveling and I realized that that can be woven into the fabric of what you're doing, it suddenly occurred to me that I could travel and get reference material to paint. Mm -hmm. So I started, when I actually quit my sports, I had become an international field hockey umpire. I was not not a good player, but I um, somewhat managed to, because of my understanding of the game, I became a good umpire. I was close to getting my international badge when I quit because I became very busy with my business, which we can talk a bit about. I'm fortunate that I was able to go back to what I started in Guyana in advertising and design. And that flourished quite a bit when I started my own company here. So, But I was always painting. So the traveling, one small trip led to another trip. And the CEO of Adventure Canada saw that I had done some traveling for my work. For instance, Gross Morn. I had hired a helicopter ahead of my trip there. Wow. That was an expensive undertaking, but it paid off in dividends. I've done so many paintings of Gross Morn. I think the first the first big painting I sold more than paid for the helicopter flight, mm-hmm. which was expensive. So I was very grateful for that. But then when Cedar Swan, who's the CEO of Adventure Canada, saw that I had done all this traveling, um, 
she and some of her team got together and talked about the possibility of my coming to Sable Island with them. Not in an official capacity, but anyway, I, I did get on the trip with them. And then I was the uh, artist in residence for Adventure Canada for Out of the Northwest Passage, which is the original question you asked me about. Uh, so I was the artist in residence for that trip. Flew out to Calgary, then flew to Kukuluktuk, and from there we got onto the Ocean Adventure, which is a ship that the Adventure Canada uses. And we went through the Northwest Passage. It was called Out of the Northwest Passage, and we went. We ended up going past. And they had just discovered the wrecks of the Franklin Expedition ships. We actually were able to get onto the barge that was Advent or Parks Canada barge over one of the ships. And we were seeing live footage from the divers below who were wow. there exploring wrecks. It was quite an emotional experience for um, the people who were on the, got off the Adventure Canada ship to go and see this. So uh, we continued past Devon Island into uh, Greenland, etc. And we flew back from Greenland. But that was quite a, a trip. It was my second trip to the Arctic. How long would a trip uh, like that take? That trip was, I think, 12 days, something like that. And as the resident artist, what kind of things did you do? Were you sketching, photographing, painting, all of the above? Actually, I was staff, even though it's the title is event, uh, residence artist. You're on staff, so I was working with the other staff. I did workshops. I did presentations for the passengers. Mm-hmm. I put together a big presentation. It's quite a lot of fun when you gather after a long day of either getting off the ship or touring around or whatever, and you come back in, you've had your meal, and there's big presentations, music and so on. But I had my, it was a video presentation I had done. So my duties involved helping out as well as doing presentations for the passengers, etc. And how did that inform your work later on? First of all, yes, my work was informed by that. It was a bit more discipline and focus in what I, I wanted to do. And the presentation of my larger Iceberg and glacier pieces became a bit more focused and more graphic. Actually, more complete, I should say, because my first trip there, I did a series called Iceberg Isolation, and I took the icebergs out of their environment, so there was no background. In my second trip there, I I placed the icebergs back into their environment. So I'm not sure why that was. I'm sure there's an explanation. It was Mm -hmm. certainly not a conscious decision, but I certainly became a bit more focused and yes, a, a little bit more graphic in my approach. You've also done work that has a social commentary to it. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> we, we do have a time limit. <laughs> I know. So let me, get, let me get to it. First of all, I do honestly believe that I was not put on this earth to paint pretty pictures only. I believe I've done a few. But I do think that as artists, we're meant to be mirrors held up to reflect on society just who we are, the beauty, the ugliness, etc. I may offend a few people by saying what I'm about to say, but it's not my intention to do so. It is my intention to get people to stop, to pause and to think, because far too often we do not think. The result of that is abject belief, mm-hmm. bull-headed belief. Mm-hmm. We see examples of that now in the world, all over the world. And belief, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is the rejection of thought. And when we think, we can still believe in something, but if we arrive at that belief that we hold fast to, we've rejected all thought. And so that then takes me into 
my second favorite topic, which is religion. I'm not knocking religion, and I was accused of doing that when I did a presentation at the Arts and Letters Club based on my question, which I had posed to a very good friend of mine, Dr. Carolina Burkhardt. I said, Dr. Burkhardt, can you determine someone's religious beliefs by examining their DNA code? And she paused and she said, you know what? No one's ever asked that question. And she and I came up with a script that we did a huge presentation for Nuit Blanche at the Arts and Letters Club of Toronto. So all of that has been informed by my refusal to follow a crowd. <laughs> when we believe, we become, that's what the herd mentality is. Oh, I'm safe. I'm, I'm with this crowd. Mm-hmm. And if we're believers, we rarely walk with a crowd. So my, my social commentary part of my art practice is very vibrant and strong, and hopefully it causes a few ripples here and there. And can you talk about that experience with Nui Blanche and how you presented that idea and what the reception was from the public? Absolutely. Thank you. By the way, my good friend, uh, Donald Ward McCarthy, who is Red X Down, D-O-W-N, is um, a musician. I met through a dear friend. She's now his, his wife. And we actually met around the same time. And uh, I was painting her at the Arts and Letters Club. And we got to know each other quite well, the three of us. At that time, I was on a committee to stage Nuit Blanche in 2012. So we were meeting in 2011, towards the end of 2011. And uh, Julian Mulock was past president and Jessica Verdu uh, and I were on the committee. So we put out word to the membership of the club. But uh, the response was sort of lukewarm. There are five disciplines in the club, literature, architecture, music, painting, and stage. We thought each of them might do something for Nuit Blanche. We had done Nuit Blanche twice before, but not at the club's location. So this was our first opportunity to showcase this beautiful building. So at that point, Julian said, why don't you take this and run with it? Are you, did you want to do that? I said, sure, I will. So that's the beginning of the year. As the year went on, I was thinking about what I was going to do. And that's when I asked my friend, Dr. Burkhardt, the, uh, that one question, which led to, <laughs> I don't know if, you, if this happens to everybody else. It certainly happens to me. I have a deadline. And ideas were bouncing around, would be bouncing around in my head. And then towards the end of that hot zone, the red zone, when things should have been done, <laughs> start raising their hands. Say, hey, have you done this yet? <laughs> Look at me. Anyway, it all fell into place. The music and my friend Donald's wife, Darcy, had breast cancer and I painted her during that time. Uh, she was 26 at the time and she's now 30 in her 30s and three beautiful kids. So I posed the question to Darcy if Donald might be interested in doing music and she said, why don't you ask him? So we spoke about it. He wrote some original music. Darcy introduced me to a gentleman. I needed four actors for the front of my presentation. I was projecting on actors with music words, etc. Images, I should say, and words, not music. Donald was playing music. So this whole presentation was, it was a projection, live music, vivid images projected onto a scrim. Janet Reed had some large abstracts on Tyvek that she lent me to use as backdrops. Mm-hmm. Mike Spence got some of this, this scrim, I think they're called, from one of the theater groups he belonged to on King Street. So all of this, the universe came together as a community to make this thing happen. So on the day of, we had two practices, <laughs> two rehearsals. Uh, we were ringing things like crazy. But on the day of, 
we had 67 volunteers. We did the first presentation, I think, around seven. Mm-hmm. And it went well, beautiful. So the audience was on the stage mm-hmm. looking at the presentation and the curtains opened up and there was live music and projection and four actors on the floor and they, they stood up and they were wearing this beautiful outfit that was all white designed by my friend who used to be the artistic director at um, one of the opera companies. So she's going to kill me. I've forgotten her name. I haven't forgotten. It's just, I'm so taken up with my story. After the second presentation, I said to the guys, well, our family have all been here. Our friends have all been here. They've seen our presentation. They seem to like it. What are we going to do the rest of the night? So, <laughs> so let's keep going. All right. So we kept going and, I went out on the street before the third or the fourth session. 14 Elm Street is just north of Young and Dundas. Mm-hmm. And it goes from Young over to McCall. Just up the road from us is the Delta Chelsea Hotel. So I stepped out. First of all, I got to the door and there's a young man there and there's somebody else behind him. And there's another person behind him. And then the lineup continued all the way across Elm Street, uh, Delta, Chelsea. Chelsea. So I come back and I said to the young man at the front of the line, I said, how did you find out about this? Oh, he said, social media has word that cool shit is happening at 14 Elm Street. (laughs) (laughs) I went back and I told my guys that was the fuel for our jet engines for the rest of the evening. We kept going and I overheard another unsolicited comment from a gentleman who said to his wife when they were leaving the production, I was standing behind the curtain and he said to her, you know, if New Eagle Blanche had more of this happening, it would become meaningful again. Oh, you know, the comments that we got from this. So that one question that I asked my, and by the way, this thing, if you go to YouTube and you Google Red X Down, Black Light, White Night, Arts and Letters Club, you'll find the whole presentation. Uh, Donald edited the whole thing and put it up. Well, that's great. It's it's beautiful. So. One of the things I'm very proud of. Yeah, it sounds like it was a fantastic night. So that's amazing. And you also teach outside of being an artist and being in advertising. So can you talk a little bit about what your teaching experience is like? Yes, thank you. I love teaching. I fell into it. Well, I'd seen, I have some very good role models who are teachers. And I, I look at the ones that I learned from. I look at the ones who were trying to teach me something as opposed to encourage me to do something. And I chose bits from both of those teachers. I love teaching. I love interacting with students and finding what's good in them and their art and encouraging them to make it better. Mm -hmm. So I teach at the McMichael Gallery. I teach workshops for various arts groups. I tend not to run my own workshops because I think that's a bit of a conflict with other people who hire me. Mm -hmm. Maybe down the road, I'll probably look at that. And I also take workshops because the learning curve is always there. Yeah, I agree. I love, well, I teach full time and I love learning. So I'm always taking workshops when I get the the chance and the opportunity. So exactly. I have that <laughs> passion. Don't you, don't you find that the old adage, adage is somewhat true that the teacher learns from the student as well too? Oh yeah, for sure. I'm always learning. My students, I'll show them something and then suddenly they take it in a new direction. And I'm like, yep. oh, where did that come from? <laughs> exactly. And it never exactly. gets old. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's great. I was going to say about the teaching as well. So you're teaching a lot of places. What's the best advice that you as an artist has been given? 
either from your students or your mentors and teachers? That's a very good question. I'll answer in the form of perhaps not sharing. I don't think this came as advice. I was thinking about it this morning because I mentioned it this past week in a discussion with somebody. I had an art teacher in Guyana, Mr. Stanley Greaves, Mr. Benjamin, Mr. Greaves, and Mr. Locke. These guys were very influential in their own way and in different aspects of my art um, career. Mr. Greaves pulled me aside one day. We had, the boys had, this was an all boys school and we had filled out the survey. Your name was on the survey. And he said, I noticed that you've listed art as one of your hobbies. He said, for you, art will never be a hobby. And in a way, that's a bit of advice. Don't make this a hobby. Don't do this when you feel you, you have time for it. This is your life, is what he was telling me. And he was, he's been absolutely right. The art has been my life forever. That's good that he recognized that in you too. Yep. So that's helpful. What would be the advice you would give to a young artist starting out for working on their ideas, trying to find their voice and figure out where they want to go? First of all, um, don't listen to the voice that tells you that this is hard. It is hard. (laughs) Embrace that voice. Invite it to sit down with you and have some tea because it is not going to be easy. But accept it, embrace it, and just keep going. Keep putting one brush stroke next to another in front of it, behind it, and just keep going, whether it's a painting or a sculpture or whatever, collage making, whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. do it. Do it with passion, as that Mr. Stanley Greaves said the same thing to me. That This is another piece of advice he gave me, which I still hold dear to my heart. All these 50-something years later on, whatever it is you do, he said to me, even if it's hammering a nail into a piece of wood, do it with determination and passion. Mm-hmm. So that's... Part of the advice I would give to emerging artists or anyone who's studying to be an artist or even an artist, feeling the effects of being in the doldrums where there are no winds in those sails for the moment, the wind is going to pick up, keep going, and just keep staying on a path of continuous improvement. That's great. I was thinking a little bit about, could you talk about your process? Do you have a routine as an artist or is there certain things in your process that you do that are part of getting to your end product and when you're thinking about ideas? An excellent question. And unfortunately, it's not one that I'm qualified to answer because I do not think logically. That's one of the reasons why I was kicked out of school. School is a logical place where you have to do things, what, if, what, then, if, what, else, whatever. My process is actually one of intuitive decision, conscious decision. If there is a process, it's one of putting paint onto a, a brush, applying it onto a surface, and then rinse and then repeat. I do, if I could take a stab at establishing a process, it's, it has to do with the actual creative process. So we begin with an objective. We have an objective. What is that objective? For today, I will do the best act of artistic expression that I've ever done my entire life. Mm-hmm. It's very rare, and I say this to my students or artists that I work with, it's very rare that someone gets up in the morning, gets out of bed and says, today I will do the worst project I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> so no, we have an objective. The objective is to do the best. Mm-hmm. So from that objective, we take the decisions. Today it's going to be acrylic painting. Then we take action. Put our paints out mm-hmm. and choose a reference. We have a size of canvas, etc. All of those decisions lead to actions and they lead to results. We assess the results and those results were neither right nor wrong. They are either in support of our original objective or not in alignment. So we make adjustments 
So this is where the process, a hint of a process comes in. It's in the actual doing of something. And we repeat that process, action, assessment of results, decisions on how to bring that result into alignment and support of our vision. And then we keep repeating that. And that happens. Artists do it now several thousands of times during the course of one painting. Mm-hmm. One brushstroke is the act of taking a decision and creating a result that you have to assess. One single brushstroke. So when you think about that, it's like writing a book. You put words into a sentence, you assess, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, you change it. Well, that's great. It's like a dance. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you very much for being on the podcast. I've enjoyed hearing your stories and learning a little bit more about your work. So thank you very much. Lisa, where did the time go? Thank you so I know, much for doing this. I can't believe two hours went by so quickly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. right. Thank you for sticking with this. Thank you for all that you do on behalf of the art community. We really appreciate it because we are useless without guys like you and Lisa. And I don't mean that guys like you. What you do is you're working on behalf of a community and we really are appreciative. So thank you so much. Well, thank thank you. you. That's very nice for you to say. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.